Good morning again. And happy Sabbath. So as you can see, I changed the title to Pride and the Plagues. Before we start, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you again for blessing us. I thank you for teaching us and um, just guiding us and just blessing us in so many ways. I'm just thankful that I'm able to be here today to deliver the message and I ask that you please help us to all take something from it that we may continue to learn and grow spiritually and just continue to seek you and follow you in all of our ways. Please guide me now and uh, help me to speak that it may be your message and not my own. I thank you and I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Pride is a very terrible thing. And what's so bad about it is that it's very deceitful. It blinds us. It gives us a false sense of reality. There are many different examples of pride given in the Bible. The prime example is that of Lucifer, a a holy angel created by God, perfect in all of his ways, until iniquity was found in him. And it was because of his own beauty and his intelligence that iniquity started to develop in him. And it started to just come out. And it got to the point where he thought that he was better than God. And he wanted to usurp God's throne. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 16 and verse 18, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We all know what happened with Lucifer. Eventually got to the point where he was cast out of heaven. And we know that eventually he's going to end up being destroyed in hellfire. All because of his own pride. There are many other examples throughout the Bible of prideful people. You have uh, Lucifer that we just talked about. You have King Saul, the first king of Israel. You have Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's story is a little bit uh, better because he humbled himself eventually. But God had to humble him. His conversion, I believe, starts in Daniel chapter 2 and it ends in Daniel chapter 4 with his own testimony. But it wasn't until uh, when you start reading in Daniel 4 where you see how prideful he really was. He took all the credit for Babylon being this great nation, and then God had to humble him for seven years. And after those seven years, the king was humbled and finally admitted that it was God and not himself. We're going to take a look at another story of pride. This one doesn't have a very good ending for the individual but it is of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
And it's amazing how God works out because it wasn't planned about the uh, children's story, talking about Joseph. So building up to uh, Pharaoh and the Exodus, you have Joseph who is sold into slavery, God using that situation to uh, bless not only him but the children of Israel, to protect them from the drought that was coming. Joseph was second in command to Pharaoh, and um, God was able to use him to preserve life. But when Joseph had died, and that Pharaoh died, a new Pharaoh came up, a new king. And he didn't know Joseph. And he didn't know the God of Israel. He knew who the Israelites were because they were all living in the land. And Pharaoh saw that the children of Israel started to outnumber the Egyptians. So he devised a plan to set taskmasters over them and to enslave this people. And he put them to work. This uh, reign of Pharaohs would be persecuting God's people for 400 years. It was predicted beforehand, uh, God had shown Abraham that his people would be in captivity for 400 years. But God had also promised that they would be delivered. Now was that time for deliverance. The 400 years had come to an end, and God was ready to deliver his people. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, starting at verse 29. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, Then they bowed their heads and worshipped. God had instructed Moses and Aaron to go to the children of Israel and tell them, it is time you're going to be delivered. Your bondage is ending. So he sends the two brothers out and they go and they go and tell the people. They encourage them. God is going to deliver you. And they believed it. They were excited. What is interesting about the captivity, and you could re- this particular story of the Exodus is parallels uh, the life, how it's going to be towards the end of time. So bear with me as we go through this story. The children of Israel are in bondage 400 years. They were worshiping God, they were keeping the Sabbath, but then they became enslaved. So it became harder to follow God in a heathen land. They were surrounded by the Egyptian idols, by the Egyptian way of life. Eventually, they themselves became Egyptians. 
It was hard to keep the Sabbath because of the burden that um, the Egyptians were putting on them to make brick and to work. So eventually, keeping the Sabbath was kind of just got lost in that 400 years. And the children of Israel had lost faith in God. And God had to reestablish this relationship with his people again. So he would not deliver them right away. He had to develop trust in them first. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met us, Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So, Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh. They say, let my people go. We need to go and serve the Lord now. Pharaoh replies, who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice. I don't know this God, and I will not let Israel go. Technical difficulties. Okay. So Pharaoh replies very pridefully. He doesn't want to hear it, essentially. He, you know, he doesn't worship the living and true God. He has his you know, idols, his uh, diff, uh, you know, vast many amount of different gods and goddesses, but he doesn't know who the Lord is, and he says that he will not bow down to the Lord, and he will continue to keep these people captive. So Pharaoh, after this meeting with Moses and Aaron, decides that he is going to crush the spirits of the Israelites. After Moses and Aaron come with this request, Pharaoh's reply is, all right, not only am I not going to let you go, but now you're going to be punished for even requesting to be let go. So he puts on more work. You see, when they were making the brick, they needed straw to make the brick. But the Egyptians were providing the straw. So now, Pharaoh sends out the work order that the Egyptians are no longer going to provide the straw. The Israelites had to gather the straw themselves and continue to make the brick and keep the same quota. Now, Uh, Pharaoh set taskmasters over the Hebrew officers, gave them the quota, 
And when the quota wasn't met, the Hebrew officers were beaten. And these Hebrew officers are getting upset, and they go to Pharaoh. And they're crying to Pharaoh, not realizing that Pharaoh is the one who gave out the order. They thought it was just the taskmasters being mean. And Pharaoh replies, you're idle. You have all this time, supposedly, that you want to go and worship the Lord. Why can't you work this much? There's no reason for it. I'm not going to take back this burden. So then the Hebrew officers now go to Moses and complain to Moses. You did this to us. Because you had to go to Pharaoh and, te- and ask him to release us, he doubled the work. Then Moses goes to the Lord. Turn to uh, Exodus 5, verse 22. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, He hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Doesn't that happen with us sometimes? You know, we're going through something. You know, maybe God called us to go and do something or witness to somebody, but it's not going exactly how we thought it was going to go. And right away we're going to the Lord, complaining. Like, you know, Lord, you sent me to Oklahoma to work here. But people aren't just flooding into the church. What's going on? Notice the Lord's reply to Moses in chapter 6. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go. And with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. So God replies to Moses complaining, telling him, I am the Lord. So he's reminding Moses, I'm the one who's in control. Not only that, but he repeated the promise that he gave to the forefathers, reminding him of the promise given to them. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You know, sometimes we go through things, and because we're overwhelmed, we kind of lose faith. You know, we don't see results right away, so we think God is not listening. But what does it say here? Be still. Be still and know that I am God. In other words, trust in me. Be patient. I'm going to work things out. So God is comforting Moses, and he's, letting him ho- and he's letting him know that now he's going to start working. 
He heard the cries of the people, and now they will be delivered. You know, there were still some faithful people in Egypt. Not all of them had totally given up on the Lord. They were still faithful witnesses. They didn't hide the fact that they were worshiping the living and true God. They were witnesses not only to their fellow brothers and sisters, but they were also witnesses to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians had every opportunity to know who the living and true God was, but because of their pride, they did not want to be taught by slaves. You would have faithful elders among the people reciting promises to encourage You had these same elders talking about the prophecy. At the end of the 400 years, we will be delivered to encourage them. And some of them listened and were encouraged, but many others were just looking on their circumstances. They were just focused on the reality that they were slaves and they were not delivered yet. The same thing goes on today, does it not? We have people preaching, encouraging others. We have people preaching prophecy. Jesus will return. Some people are encouraged. Many other people just look at the reality that he hasn't come yet. Well, the Egyptians would hear of these uh, preaching and encouragements, and they would deride them. They would click, quickly remind the Israelites that they are slaves to them. They would mock them, saying, If your God is so strong and mighty, why are you serving us? Shouldn't it be the other way around? After all, it was our gods who delivered you into our hand, it was our gods who made us so rich and mighty. the same thing will happen at the end of days and is happening even today. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 3.3, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the purpose, uh, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Scoffers. The Bible tells us that there is no new thing under the sun. Just because we don't see it immediately doesn't mean it's not there or it's not going to happen. But many had lost faith through the Egyptian uh, captivity. And a lot of them didn't want to have to go through any trials or tribulations to be delivered. They were content with just staying a slave in Egypt instead of having to go through some hard times to be delivered. The Lord was not going to deliver them right away, like I said before, because he needed to reestablish that relationship. He needed to gain their trust and faith again. You know, I've heard 
doing Bible studies with people before, that it's too hard to be a Christian. You know, it's not easy being a Christian in this world. We're surrounded by so many sinful things and sinful practices. It's easy to just go with the flow. It's easy to just say, this is my home, this is it. Now, when I heard the testimony of a late pastor, Ron Halverson, he was talking about his experience and how he was converted to the faith. And he said that he was in church during an appeal. His friend was sitting next to him, and Ron had stood up for the appeal. He was ready to give his life over to the Lord. And his friend was sitting there crying, and Ron looked at him and asked him, Will you come? And he said, It costs too much. Unfortunately, his friend ended up committing a crime, and he spent the rest of his life in prison. Ron, on the other hand, committed his life to the Lord, became a pastor, and did the Lord's work the rest of his life. But many people are just content with just this world because it's too hard to change. But God was going to fulfill the promise that he had given to his people. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 7. Now Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 7, starting at verse 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now, now the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. So Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh. Aaron cast down his rod to prove God, to show that they come in the name of the Lord. The rod turns into a serpent. Pharaoh calls in his wise men and his magicians, and they do likewise. But there was a difference. See, only God can create things. Satan, though powerful, is still a created being, just like you and I. So when the magicians cast down their rods with their enchantments, it only appeared as if they were real, but it was a delusion. Pharaoh right there, after he saw Aaron's rod swallow up the other ones, should have realized who he was dealing with. But instead, he rejected the plain truth that was before him. 
And the two men left his presence. There were three purposes. Well, before I get to that. Before we get to the plagues. Before each plague, Moses was to explain the nature of the plague and the effect before Pharaoh to give him opportunity to save himself and the nation before it came. So you see mercy mixed in with the judgments. God gives everybody a chance to turn and repent. There are three purposes to the plagues that I can see. One was for the Egyptians to see how vain it was to trust in their mighty men. Two, for them to see how feeble their gods are. And three, to silence their boastings that their gods had blessed them. God was going to glorify his name in the entire world through these plagues to show every nation that surrounded Egypt that their gods could not deliver them. That it was only the living and true God who was in control of all things. And in thus doing so, he was going to lead people to true worship. Now we go to the plagues. The first plague was turning the Nile and all the water in Egypt into blood. Why is it? And the thing that we have to keep in mind that God does everything for a reason. He didn't just do these plagues haphazardly. There was a purpose behind each individual plague. So, turning the Nile into blood. Go with me to Exodus 7, verses 19 and 20. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded. And he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The Nile, when it overflowed, would cause the land around it to become very fertile so they could plant crops. So the Nile was worshipped as a god. This god's name was Happy, H-A-P-I. And Pharaoh would visit the Nile frequently every morning to give his devotions. So Moses was there waiting the next morning for Pharaoh to come and do his devotions, given the opportunity, and he he turned the water, not only in the Nile, but all the water that was even stored into blood. Verse 22, And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. So again, Moses performs a great miracle by the hand of God, turning the water into blood. 
But it appears as if the magicians are right on his tail because they seem to have the same power and do the same thing. So this plague lasts seven days. The next plague, go to Exodus chapter 8 and verse 6. God again sends Moses to give Pharaoh another opportunity to let his people go. He denies. Now the next plague, the plague of frogs. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Frogs were regarded as sacred animals, not to be killed. So when God had performed this plague, he infested the entire nation of Egypt with frogs. And what was significant about this plague, there was another goddess behind it. This goddess' name was Heka, and she was portrayed with a head of a frog which is probably why they regard the frogs as sacred. So anyway, the nation is now infested with frogs. They can't do anything about it because they're sacred animals, so they just have to deal with it. And the magicians did also, but what the magicians could not do was they could not take away the frogs. So now you're starting to see that God is now working not only, he's not only pouring out judgments on the gods and goddesses of Egypt, but now he's also doing the same to the magicians, showing them that they really don't have power. And Pharaoh calls for Moses, starting at verse 8. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me, when shall I entreat for thee, and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses, that they may remain in the river only? And he said, Tomorrow... And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from thee, and from thy houses, and from thy servants, and from thy people. They shall remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the villages, and out of the fields. And they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. There's two significant things that we need to take out of that. One, when Pharaoh went to Moses to ask him to take it away, Moses said, okay, when do you want me to take it away? So Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Saying tomorrow, secretly hoping that the frogs are going to disperse before that. 
But Moses said, according to your word, it shall be. And it came to pass the next day, the frogs stopped and they died. And it says that they gathered them up in heaps and the land stank. The other significant thing is that God could have just had them disappear. He could have had them just dissolve into the sand, but he left their putrid, rotting bodies as a reminder. Because if he would have let them dissolve and disappear, then the magicians could have stepped up and said, oh, we did this. But God wasn't going to let that happen. He wanted to make sure that the people knew that it was no magic that was happening, but it was a judgment from him. Now moving on to the third plague. Gnats. Starting in verse 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. The next god that was attacked was Geb, which was the god of the earth. So when... Moses struck the earth, and then the lice came out from the earth. It was just to show that this God had no power to hold it back. And verse 19, Then the magicians said unto... uh, No, 18. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there there were lice upon man and upon beasts. So now the magicians try with their enchantments to bring about lice like they did with the blood and the frogs, but this time they could not. In verse 19, Then the magicians said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Even the magicians now are starting to realize, this is the living God who we're dealing with. We have no power over him. Now God is starting to show not only Pharaoh, but also all of Egypt, who has the power. The fourth plague. By the way, the first three plagues affected everyone in Egypt. Egyptians and Israelites alike. Now why would God allow the Israelites, to go through the plagues as well. Well, Like I was saying before, they needed to develop a relationship with God. They needed to be reminded who He is, and they needed to develop that trust in Him. So they needed to realize, wait a second, this is God. We can't be trusting in these Egyptian gods anymore. So it was like a wake-up call for the Israelites now. Now the plague of flies. Chapter 8, starting in verse 20. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water. And say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. 
Else, if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thy houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground wherein they are. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. So now the Lord is separating the Israelites and the Egyptians. The Israelites lived in the land of Goshen. And when Moses is proclaiming what is going to happen, he's telling them, the, the flies are going to swarm tomorrow, but they're not going to Goshen. They're just going to stay in Egypt. So God is now making a distinction between the two. Not only that, but, he, but Moses also declares that it's going to happen tomorrow. So he's even prophesying when the plague is going to take place. So it's not just some random act that happens. So the flies come. Another god, Kefri, whose head is portrayed as a beetle, which is strange, but whatever works for them. But after this plague comes, uh, verse 25, And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not meet so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? So Pharaoh, after this plague comes in, kind of gives in a little bit. He's like, all right, you could sacrifice, but you have to do it in Egypt. Well, that was a problem because the animals that they were required to sacrifice were regarded by the Egyptians as sacred. So if they start sacrificing these animals, the Egyptians would just kill them. So Moses declines and says, no, we need to go in a three-day journey to go sacrifice. And Pharaoh's heart becomes hard. Now, it says that God hardened his heart. Is God actually hardening his heart? No. Pharaoh hardens his own heart, which each persistent Re, uh, rebellion against the truth. Every time he rejects the truth, he hardens his heart. And that's how it is even today. When we uh, say, for instance, we're doing Bible studies, or just preaching, or whatever the case may be, if we're witnessing to somebody about the truth, and they are rejecting it, rejecting it, they are hardening their own hearts. I'll give you an example. The sun. The sun can do different things to different uh, 
objects. The the same sun can uh, melt wax or it can harden clay. So it is with our hearts. Are we going to have a heart of wax or are we going to have a heart of clay? When the truth comes to us, are we going to accept it for the truth's sake or are we going to reject it because of our prior beliefs or because it doesn't fit our lifestyle or because, well, you know, that's just not the way I'm used to doing things. So it was Pharaoh's experience throughout the plagues. Each judgment that came, he hardened his heart because he was not willing to yield to the truth. He was not willing to yield to the fact that uh, the living and true God was above all things. The next plague, the plague of Moraine. Exodus chapter 9. So during this plague, a disease of moraine goes out and kills a bunch of cattle, not only the sacred animals that the Egyptians saw as sacred, but they also killed the uh, workhorses, the animals that were there for labor. But again, Israel was exempt. The land of Goshen, the plague did not reach there. And Pharaoh sends out a messenger to go check And unfortunately, the messenger comes back saying the plague did not go to Goshen. And Pharaoh gets even more hot-headed. So another plague needs to come. If uh, If you haven't noticed already, but each plague starts to get even worse. The more that happens, the worse it's starting to get. God is trying to get the attention of the Egyptians. Trying to show them. But they keep rejecting. The sixth plague, the plague of boils. This particular plague, uh, the, yeah, the last plague, there was uh, the goddess Hathor. She was portrayed uh, usually with a head of a cow. Strange again, but... Now the plague of boils. This god that was affected was the goddess Sekhmet, the god of medicine. This plague not only reaches all the Egyptians, but it also reaches the magicians now. And when the people see that the magicians can't even protect themselves, it should have been right there, wake-up call, like, hey, wait a second, something's not right. Maybe these things aren't what we thought they were. But the people were still too proud to give in. So another plague had to come. Now this plague was... The plague of hail. The goddess Nut, the goddess of the sky. And this plague would destroy all the crops. It would destroy whatever livestock was left out. And Moses had warned them, there's a plague of hail coming such as no one has ever seen before. 
So put your animals away and stay inside. Because if they're left out, they're going to be destroyed. But because of the pride of the Egyptians, they left their animals out. And they were killed. The ones who didn't die from the moraine would die from the hail. It would destroy not only the animals, but also the crops that were growing. Now Pharaoh pleads for deliverance. Chapter 9. Chapter 9 and verse 27 and 28. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time, the Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough, that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail, and I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. So it appears as if Pharaoh is humbled at this point. But watch what happens after the hail leaves. Verse 33. And Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread abroad his hands unto the Lord, and the thunders and hail ceased, and the rain was not poured upon the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. So what appeared to be a conversion ceased when the plague stopped. As soon as the hardship was taken away, Pharaoh went right back to his old ways. This plague also was significant because the land of Goshen was still not touched by the hail. Also a witness to show that God is in control. Now the eighth plague. Locusts. The God, Seth. Uh, Exodus chapter 10, verse 3. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Now God is pleading with them. How long are you going to rebel? Have you not seen what happened in the past seven plagues? It's only going to get worse. Just let them go. Well, Moses gives him a warning that there's going to be locusts that come through. And the plague comes. Then we see Pharaoh again seeming to be humbled. Verse 8. And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh, and the Lord said unto them, and he said unto them, Go serve the Lord your God, but who are they that will go? And Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old, 
with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our hearts, will we go? For we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go, and your little ones, look to it, for evil is before you. Not so, go now, ye that are men, and serve the Lord. For that ye did desire, and they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So now Pharaoh asks him, okay, I'll let you go, but who's going with you? So Moses tells them pretty much, you know, we're all going. So Pharaoh's like, no. Let your women and children stay behind, and the men just go out. Now, it may seem as if Pharaoh's concerned for their well-being, but in reality, the only reason why he's doing that is so that the men will come back. So Moses rejects it, says, no, we all have to go. And Pharaoh hardens his heart once again. So the locusts come and destroy all that was left over from the hail. And Pharaoh repents again until the plague is removed. And when the plague is removed, goes right back to hardening his heart. The ninth plague, the plague of darkness. The god Ra, their number one god, the god of the sun. This plague lasts three days. It says that it was, the darkness was so thick it was hard to breathe. This judgment is so significant to just show them, even your most powerful high god has no power over me. I'm blotting out the sun, which is supposed to represent him, and he's not doing anything about it. Not only that, but he gave them three days of sitting in the darkness to think about repenting. Giving them time to think, to change, before the final and last plague. Pharaoh eventually says, okay, you can go, but your flocks and your herds have to stay. Moses is like, no, that's not going to work. We need to bring them with us too, because we don't know what we're going to need to sacrifice. Go to Exodus chapter 10, verses 24 through 29. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, go, serve, go ye serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed let your little ones also go with you. And Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not a hoof be left behind, for therefore must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come hither. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more. For in that day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. And Moses said, 
Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. God had done whatever he could to humble this proud king's heart. Not only the proud king, but the nation of Egypt. Plague after plague came with warning after warning. Mercy after mercy. And still, nothing was changing. In fact, the Pharaoh just uh, became more resilient in his rebellion. So God had to do something he was trying his best not to do. And that was the last plague. The death of every firstborn. Not only of man, but also of the cattle. This plague affected Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh was looked upon as a god. And his predecessor, or his son, was also looked down as a god. So, when this plague happened, and Pharaoh's own son died, just showed the people, see, even your king has no control. Your king is not a god. Your gods are not gods. Your magicians have no power. Your mighty men have no strength. All that you have been able to do was because of me. It wasn't until this last plague that Pharaoh finally let the children of Israel go. But he changed his mind very quickly and chased them to the Red Sea where he met his demise. Proverbs 16, 18, and 19, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. The Egyptians had it all, but the one thing they had that drove them to destruction was pride. They lost everything. So it is going to be in this world. Whatever the case may be, whether we think that we're above God because of our intelligence or our possessions or our position, none of that is going to matter in the end. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. We need to acknowledge He is in control. And just like He had delivered The Israelites, he will deliver his people in the end. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for these stories that you have given us in your word. Stories to encourage us and to learn these lessons. Father, I ask that you please help us, each and every one of us, to humble ourselves before you. Help us to make that decision, to follow you with a humble spirit each and every day. Please continue to guide us and bless us in all things, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.